Well, hey, everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Would you help me welcome all of our first-time guests? We're so glad to have you guys with us today, whether you are online or right here in the room. Well, we're in a series now that we've been doing for three weeks. Today is part three. Good news, if you've missed any of it, you can catch up online or on our app. But as you can tell by the screen behind me, the title of the series is To Be or Not To Be Poor. So there's a bit of a clue there. It might be a finance series. And uh, the whole idea behind the way that I'm teaching this series came out of my Bible reading about a year ago. Uh, I was just simply reading and, and having my own prayer time and came across a beautiful story about worshiping Jesus. But he said something that got my attention. And so I've been sharing this with you each time. So there was this moment when this woman came to display an act of worship for her gratitude towards Jesus, and what she chose to do was to take a very expensive jar of perfume and to pour it on his head. And it was actually symbolic. I don't think she knew this, of course, uh, but it was symbolic of what was about to happen to him. He was about to be crucified, and so it was, it was symbolic of the anointing for his burial and preparation for that. And it was just this incredible display of worship, and that's usually what we preach when we preach the story, but there were some who watched, some of his disciples, and they saw, wait a minute, why did you do that? This, this could have been sold for a large sum of money. It was such an expensive perfume. And then the money could have been given to the poor. And what got my attention was Jesus' response to this. I'm gonna share it with you on the screen. It says, you will always have the poor among you. You will not always have me, so allow her to worship me. Allow her to perform this act of gratitude. And, but you will always have the poor. And that's what got my attention. Wait a minute. So there's going to be a problem among humanity that we will never solve. Apparently so, because Jesus can't lie. But what really got my attention about this is I know it's not God's intent. Let me share with you God's intent for you out of Deuteronomy. He says, but there will be no poor among you. This is God's intent for his people. There should be no poor among you. So Jesus is telling us that there are people that will never experience what God actually intends, that we're actually on the earth going to experience the opposite of what God intends, would make you want to ask why. And the answer is very simple. There will always be those who do not experience God's intent because there will always be some who do not live according to God's way. There will always be some who do not experience God's intent because there will always be some who do not live God's way. So the idea behind this series is we want to learn God's way so that we can experience God's intent. Somebody with me on that one? And so what we've been doing for the series to make it incredibly simple, uh, there are three overarching biblical principles for God's way of managing our finances. And then if we do that, we can experience God's intent. The first principle that we looked at in part one was that we honor God. We honor God. We say to him, you are my father in heaven. You are the one who provides for me. You are the one who blesses me. You are the source of all good things in my life. And so when we honor God, we fulfill his word by bringing his tithe back to him. The second principle is to be generous. The Bible tells us that we are enriched in every way to be generous. We're not enriched just so that we can accumulate. We're enriched to be generous. And so if you find yourself looking at your finances going, man, there's, there's barely enough for me. There's a pretty good chance at some point in your life you started using all that God gave you just for you. And he turned off the faucet, so to speak. He wants his people to be the conduit of blessing to the world so that everybody then looks and says, I want your God in my life because God's people are good. That's the intent. And so, well, when we're not letting the money flow, then God turns off the flow until we make that change. 
Today I'm going to share with you the third principle, and that is that we would be wise. And then next week I want to encourage you to come back after you go eat some turkey and have a great Thanksgiving, because although there are only three principles, there are four parts to this series. Next week I'm going to share with you a foundational issue in your life. And if you get this foundational issue worked out in the right way, then it'll help you very easily put these three principles to work. If on the other hand, this foundational issue is not right in your life, then it'll hinder you getting these three principles to work. So come back for that. But right now we're gonna talk about this third principle, this idea of being wise. If you were here at the beginning of this series, I shared a little bit of uh, my story, mine and my wife's story with you. I explained that when we first got married, we were actually unemployed missionaries. And so we got paid almost nothing. And then we got real jobs. I became a first year public school teacher and she went to work at Walmart. So we were just rolling in the big bucks. Y'all know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> Truth is we were poor and we blamed our salaries for it. And our salaries obviously didn't really help us too terribly much, but that wasn't the whole problem. The whole problem was we weren't doing all of the things that I've been talking about in this series. We weren't tithing because we had never heard about it. We weren't being generous because we were so poor we thought it was everybody else's job to be generous to us. Y'all know that feeling sometimes, right? And then today I'm gonna to share with you some simple things about how to be wise with the way you manage your money and we weren't doing that either. Matter of fact, we then heard our pastor teach on tithing and we said, okay, well, it's in the Bible, we're gonna do that. And so then we started arguing with God. Okay, God, we're, we're tithing, we're honoring you, why aren't you blessing us? And we came to the realization we were expecting God to outbless our foolishness. We were expecting God's blessing to outdo our foolishness with how we managed our finances. And so what I want to share with you is uh, well, how we got out of the mess we were in. The truth is we woke up one day early in our marriage, did a little math. I wrote it down on the paper and we realized we were two and a half times our annual household income in debt. And that did not include a mortgage. If it includes a mortgage, you can sell and downsize. Didn't include a mortgage. It included some school loans and some car payments and a whole lot of visa bills. I mean, it was, it was a mess. And when you look at it on paper telling you you will have to go to work for the next two and a half years without eating, without buying new clothes and living in a cardboard box just to get back to zero, you decide... I'm done, it's time for a change. And so fortunately, we had some, some godly friends in our lives who knew what the Bible said and taught, and those are the things I'm gonna share with you today, but they began to teach us, and we began to make some changes in our lives. And so what I wanna share with you today is what I'm gonna call the biblical principle of being wise if you don't wanna be among the poor. It's our choice, everybody, right? And so before we get into those biblical principles for your finances, on wisdom, I, I wanna just cover the idea of wisdom. The big topic, wisdom is a big topic in the Bible and I wanna make sure you understand what wisdom is before you try to have wisdom in your finances. And so if I could share this with you, the Bible says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Well, why is that? What is the blessing? What are they going to get? Well, they're gonna get long life in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Long life riches and honor. How many people would like that to be the story of their lives? Long life, riches, and honor. Is that all of you that wants that? The rest of you? Seriously? What, what do y'all really want out of life? Okay, well, where's it going to go? Maybe you'll, you'll join us in a minute here. I want long life, riches, and honor. Now, some of you at this point may feel a little doomed, like, oh, but I'm not very smart. I didn't do very well in school, and if, 
if you've got to have wisdom to have those things, then I'm just in trouble. My, my life is just sunk from the beginning. And I'm here to give you some good news. You're not doomed. That's not what wisdom is. Wisdom is not your IQ. Wisdom is not your intelligence level. Matter of fact, there are some incredibly smart people in the world. Their IQ is super high. Their SAT scores are ridiculously high. We hate all of them, right? You know those people. But some of them are really, really smart, but not wise at all. And then there are people who are, well, maybe a little more average on the IQ score, but are incredibly wise. How can that happen? Well, let me tell you the definition that I give for wisdom. If I ever teach anybody on wisdom and what I teach my children, wisdom is the application of knowledge. Wisdom is the application of knowledge and then take it one step further according to God's perspective. You see, here's, we, we have what we call worldly wisdom and that is when somebody has a lot of information, a lot of knowledge and they know how to put it to work for good results, right? A good example would be someone like Warren Buffett. Not only does he know all of the answers and, uh, you know, or know all of the definitions and things and can explain it all to you, he knows how to put it to work to become just crazy rich. You know what I'm saying, right? That's worldly wisdom. And if you want some financial advice, you're probably going to go and, and ask Warren Buffett a question because you know he's got he, wisdom. He knows how to apply all of the information that's in his head and all that he learns. But what if you could take that to another level? What if you could add to that? Not only do you have knowledge and information, but you know how to apply it. And then you go to the next level. I apply it to the way God sees things because God created everything. And God is the one who's behind everything. So if we can apply what we know from God to put it into practice the way God would put it into practice, now we're talking. And that's biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom is when you can apply whatever you know to the way that God would have you see it. So now, everybody wants wisdom? I hope you do. And so you say, what do I need to do? Very simply, ask. Ask and you get it. The Bible says, if any of you lacks wisdom, simply let him ask God who gives generously. Did you get that? He gives it generously to all without reproach. You know what that means, without reproach? It means it's not based on what you deserve. If you just go to God and say, I'd like wisdom, he's like, okay, here you go. See, most of us think God works like our parents. When you were growing up, you said, daddy, can I have $5? He's like, why? You don't deserve it. But God just says, oh, you asked for wisdom? Here you go, wisdom. I give generously without reproach. It will be given to you. So what does this wisdom look like? Well, here's something we need to know. Wisdom has a starting point. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it begins. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because the fear of the Lord is, is honoring him and revering him. When you, when you start to look at God and say, you are God, I am not. Your ways are better than mine. What you say is what I'll do. You have started wisdom in your life. And that's why I think actually the Bible verse we just read is so true. That's why God promises wisdom so freely. Because when you go to God and ask, well, first of all, you're going to him and saying, you've got the answers, I don't. You're God, I'm not. Your ways are better than mine. And God says, okay, I'm gonna give you all of that wisdom that you need. That's why he gives it so freely. Look, I wanna remind you what this whole series is built upon. It's built upon the idea that God has an intent for your life. And if we want God's intent, we need to live God's way. And so let me make this practical to what we're talking about. It is wisdom to live God's way in order to get God's intent. It is foolish to live another way 
still expecting God's intent. And that's what, exactly what my wife and I were doing. We were using all kinds of ideas that are not the ones I'm going to teach you today, and yet we still somehow expected to be blessed and well off. And it simply doesn't work. It is foolish to live another way, but expect God's intent. So what we're doing today is getting some instruction. Let me share this with you, though. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom. So today, just some advice and instruction according to the Bible. And uh, you get to decide if you're going to be the fool or the wise by the end of it. I'm going to word it this way. I'm going to give you five truths of financial wisdom according to the Bible. Five truths of financial wisdom. And one final thought before we get started. One final thought on wisdom says the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. In other words, if we're going to be wise, we don't just listen, but we apply it to our lives. So here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to make this as practical as I can. While we're going through these five truths that I'm going to share with you, I'm going to ask you to apply it to your lives. I'm going to ask you to give yourself a rating. And the good news is you don't have to tell anybody your scores and please don't put them on Facebook. But what I'm going to ask you to do in each one of these five areas, give yourself a score from one to five, one, two, three, four, five, one being extremely foolish and five being exceptionally wise, exceptionally wise. You can either be extremely foolish or exceptionally wise and somewhere in between. And we're going to rate ourselves on each one. Everybody ready for this? All right, here we go. Number one, the first truth of financial wisdom, don't steal don't steal. I'm glad some of you left. Every other service the whole weekend, they just sat and stared at me. Like, are you really, Jimmy, talking to a bunch of church people and telling them, don't steal? Like, come on, don't you know your audience, man? Like, I, I don't rob banks. I don't break into cars and houses. And I'm not running telemarketing scams on little old ladies. Like, I don't steal, man. Why are you even having to put that up there? Well, because I think sometimes we, we don't know that there are more ways to steal that are a little more discreet. Matter of fact, the Bible says this, wealth gained by dishonesty. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished. But he who gathers by labor, that means you honestly work and you are paid appropriately and honestly for what you've done, well, that will increase. How many of you want your wealth to diminish? Yeah, that's why you have to pay attention when the pastor's preaching. You can't just go sticking your hand up. But how many of you want your wealth to increase? Well, there you go. So we need to make sure that our wealth is not gained by dishonesty. But here's the truth. Dishonest gain is actually very commonplace in our world today. Even among Christians, it's all around us and we all make some of the same jokes. Here, let me give you some examples. If you are paid hourly and you show up to work one minute after you were supposed to be there, so you quickly clock in so that your boss doesn't notice that you're that late. But then you go to the break room and you put your things away. Tidy up your makeup, of course. Check the scores from last night's game. Then make your way to the bathroom. And then come back and get a fresh cup of coffee and make sure the sugar and cream is just right so you can be the best employee that you can be. You've just been paid for 15 minutes and did no work for it. It's a form of dishonest gain. How about when you file your taxes? I mean, the government, they take so much from you. Don't you deserve to get just a little of it back? And you turn in a receipt for a business trip that was really to Disney, but you and your wife did mention that you have a job on the trip, so you thought that was fair game. Or maybe you work from home. Any of those folks, you work from home on a computer, and so you're just kind of doing whatever, and 
You know, I had a friend of mine that explained the software that they use with their company. All he had to do was wiggle his mouse every 15 minutes. Yeah, that's called dishonest gain. Maybe you're paid for a job, like you're a contractor or a laborer, and you, you do something like landscaping for someone, and after you figure out exactly what is owed, you round up just for the fun of it. Or you charge them for materials that are still in your truck that you know you're going to drop by Home Depot and return and keep the cash. Dishonest gain is all around us, and many of us have those opportunities Here's the truth you need to know. Your boss may not see you, but God does. Your boss may not see you wiggle the mouse and go back to doing something different, scrolling through Facebook. The person may not know you rounded up on the invoice, but God does. And this was one of the first things God taught his people, one of the basic of the Ten Commandments. You will not steal because God cannot bless dishonest gains. So there you go, everybody. Number one, fairly painless, right? Fairly painless. What do you score yourself? One, extremely foolish to five, exceptionally wise. Give yourself a number. And let's move on. Number two, the second truth of financial wisdom is to work hard. You need to work hard. Proverbs 24 says, I passed by the field of a sluggard. I just love that word, sluggard. It's just fun to say. I passed by the field of a sluggard, which is a lazy person, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. So then I saw, and I considered it. I looked and received instruction. Oh, that's a wise person already, trying to learn from what they see. What'd you learn? Well, I learned that a little sleep and a little slumber and, well, just a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you. Poverty will come upon you like a robber in want, like an armed man. Here's an absolute guarantee in life. The lazy person will always be poorer than the hardworking person, always. The lazy person will be poorer than a hardworking person, which is probably why God says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Work as though you're working for the Lord, not for men. Look, let me give you a formula for success that you can't break. Work as though your boss is Jesus, not a human. Work hard, do your best, because you represent Jesus to every human. Guaranteed success. And just for the fun of it, there are a few not so hard working trends that are taking root in our world today. I'd just like to call them out in case some of you think that they are your career aspirations. And you can go and Google these words. I'm not making this up. The first one is called quiet quitting. Has anyone heard of quiet quitting? There you go. You, you know what I'm talking about. It's when you put forth just the minimal amount of effort to not get fired and get the paycheck, like wiggling the mouse every 15 minutes. Another one is called lazy girl jobs. Have y'all, you, you really got to Google this one. Lazy girl jobs. It's the idea that you can be a millionaire by sitting at home and working on Instagram about two hours a day. Now, it worked for a few people. And it will work for a little bit longer for a few people. But if every young person decides I'm going to graduate high school and get a lazy girl or lazy boy job, it doesn't quite work that way. I literally read an article just this week about it. This young lady got a job. That's where it came from, lazy girl job. She got a job working nine to five, a normal eight hour shift. But then she had to drive to work. And then she had to drive back home. And she said in the interview, between commuting and working, there's just no time left for me. Another trend, very big right now, 
Is working just hard enough to enjoy now? Working harder later when you have to? But I mean, let, let's just enjoy life. life. Listen, here's the reason you don't have to work very hard right now, because you don't owe a lot right now, because you still live in your mama's basement and she pays for the internet. It, you need to work hard. Look, could I address the young people for a minute and not to fuss at you, but to tell you something I wish people had told me when I was younger? And I think most of the older folks in here would say, I wish I understood this concept when I was younger, so I'm actually trying to do you a favor. There's a concept called opportunity cost. Opportunity cost. What that means is an opportunity will come and an opportunity will be gone. One of the biggest opportunities you have is being young. You are healthy. You may not always be. You have time. You may not always have. You have freedom that you may not always have in terms of having a family and other obligations. So here's what I want to encourage you in. Work while you can. Work while you're healthy. Work hard while you're healthy. Work because you have the time. You won't always have this time. If you're single, take advantage of the time. Get a full-time job and then get a part-time job so you stay out of trouble when you're not at your full-time job. It'll be great and you'll have more money for your future. Speaking of future, do you want a family someday? Do you want kids someday? You don't have to wait until your family is strapped and your kids are old to figure out you can make money for them. You can start right now saving for a Disney vacation even though you're single. And if I could address the young men, young men, so many times they sit in my office and they're so excited they've met the one. I said, well, that's great. You know you've met the one and God tells you, all right, that's great. When are you getting married? Oh, it's going to be a while. I just had to get a job to save up for a ring. Don't wait. If you know you're going to get married, if you, I mean, come on, are y'all getting this? Like work hard now. And here's the reason. Today is a day you'll never get back. Today is a day you'll never get back. It's one less day you will have on the earth. It is one less day you will have to work. It is one day that is gone. Opportunity cost. Take advantage of the opportunity. Wake up tomorrow, work hard, and get everything out of it you can. Amen? All right, there you go. How do you score yourself, everybody? From a one extremely foolish to a five exceptionally wise, let's move on to the third truth of financial wisdom, and that is that you have to follow a budget. Follow a budget. Look, I know that's a bad word to many of you, but a budget is just a plan. It's just a plan for your finances. You would have a plan for anything you wanted to succeed at. If you wanted to take your family to vacation in Florida, you'd have a plan to drive south. If you don't drive south, you're not gonna end up in Florida, at least from where we are here today, right? You guys with me? You have to have a plan. That's why Jesus said, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not First, sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. If I could give you the modern day translation, Jesus would look at you and say, for which of you desiring to live a month does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough for the whole month? And many of us would say, I don't. Look, here's the truth. You should have a budget, and here is why that's wise. A budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. A budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Because you're going to do one of the two. Those are your two choices. You are either going to tell your money what you're going to do with it, or you're going to go, where has my money gone? I believe Larry Burkett, uh, financial advisor, gets credit for that quote. I didn't come up with that. 
But whenever I teach on this and I do this, uh, I've, tried, I've done it often over the years, I've usually called this point to have a budget. But then I realized that wasn't quite getting the job done, that I needed to take it a step further. And that's why I'm calling this follow a budget. Lots of people have a budget. It does no good if you don't follow a budget. And it's very helpful. There are so many tools in our world today, apps you can have on your phone. We have an app we use in our family. And so at any point, you can pull out your phone and say, do I have the money to buy this? And you can get the yes or the no before you buy it so that you are telling your money where to go. You have to follow the budget, though. You see, if you're following the budget, it's in front of you. But if the budget is following back behind you, then it's not quite working that way if you're just trying to figure out where your money went. My wife gave me permission to tell you the following story. There's a little phrase I hear very often in our home. I think I hear it about once a week. It may not quite be that often, but it feels like it's at least once a week that my wife will say, honey, can you fix the budget? How'd you break it? She's never happy with that response. She says, just fix it. I said, by fix it, you mean magically turn all of the red numbers into little green ones? Yes. See, the problem is we have a beautiful app that actually connects to our bank. And so every time we buy something, the transaction will clear the bank. And about two days later, it shows up in your app. But two days later, my wife has already spent a whole lot more just waiting on that to show up. You have to follow the budget. It has to be in front of you. But funniness aside, the reason that most people don't follow a budget isn't because they're bad at math, and it's not because they can't download an app. Most of us don't follow a budget because we think it limits our freedom. We think it takes the fun out of things, and it says no to everything we want to do. Here's the reality. The amount of money that you had before you got a budget will be the same after the budget. It's just you actually being in charge of the amount of money, right? So when my wife and I were so far in debt and we started to learn these principles and we actually had to sit down and write down a budget and we, we were getting debt paid off and it was all in the budget, we came up with $20 a month we could go out and spend to eat out, $20 a month. Now, that was not much, but again, we were two and a half times in debt. It's, we, we didn't deserve any a month, right? We should have been eating rice and beans for two and a half years, but we gave ourselves $20 a month. Now, before we had a budget and when we were so broke, if we bought milk and eggs or food for the kids, we felt guilty because we knew we had to use Visa to do it. But once we had a budget and a plan and there were payments going to retire the debt and pay it off faster, we could go spend our $20 and get a whole great meal at Chick-fil-A for a date. And we felt guilt-free because we were free to spend that $20. It was in the budget. A budget does not limit your freedom. A budget actually gives you freedom. It's guilt-free spending because you're telling your money where to go. So how do you score yourself, everybody? One, for extremely foolish. Five, for exceptionally wise. And let's go on to our fourth truth of financial wisdom, and that is to save. To save. It's such a simple concept, but saving simply means you make money now that you don't spend now. You make some now, but you don't spend it now. The Bible says precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. It is wisdom to set aside some of what you have today, some of what you made today, because you don't know what tomorrow holds, but you know it's going to hold something, and so you're prepared for it. It is foolish to just consume it all and wake up tomorrow and say, let tomorrow have its own trouble. 
a wise person sets, uh, sets some aside today. It's about preparing today for what comes tomorrow. And one of the biggest things that we need to prepare for is the predictable. It's surprising to me how many times someone will come to me and say, Pastor, we need you to pray for us. And they'll tell me about their financial situation. And it was completely predictable. Like your refrigerator went out. Really, your refrigerator? Oh, I'm so sorry. How old was it? 25 years old. <laughs> you could have seen that one coming. Matter of fact, God has already blessed you the last five years of your life. That refrigerator should have been dead long ago. People come to me and say, Pastor, you got to pray for me. My, my kids are supposed to go to college and I don't have any money. Really? You could have seen that one coming about 18 years ago. Guaranteed, right? Someone comes and says, I, I, I had to buy tires. Do you know how much tires cost? It's ridiculous. I didn't have the money for that. Well, here's what you can do. There's a little number on the side of your tires. It'll tell you how long you can drive them before you're going to have to replace them. And you can bet it's going to cost a little bit more next time than it just did this time. So get a budget and start preparing for the predictable. Here's a reality check of some of the predictable for you. Some of your stuff will break. It's just going to break. Some of your stuff, the rest of it will simply wear out. And if you plug it in anywhere, it's either going to break or wear out. Those are your choices. And you just need to know that's coming. In our family, we've got a family of six. We do about three loads of laundry a day. So washing machines have a very short lifespan in our family. We just know when you buy one, you better start saving for the next one. It's coming, right? Here's something else you need to prepare for. It's predictable. You're going to get older and want to quit working. And if you don't, you will get even older and have to quit working. You need to prepare because that day is coming. You know something else you need to prepare for that's incredibly predictable? You're about to do, once again, buy Christmas presents. And you know what's going to happen about a year from now? You're going to need to buy Christmas presents again. And the year after that, and the year after that, it's just remarkably predictable. Every December, you're going to need to buy Christmas presents. And the only way you're getting out of it is to unfriend everybody you know. Or you can start preparing just like birthdays, they also show up with remarkable consistency at about the same time every year. The birthday parties, the presents, and the Christmas presents should not make you go into debt. Oh, and here's one more reality check for you. If you have kids, they're expensive. They're going to cost you a whole lot of money. I can just tell you that. They're going to want clothes. They're going to want expensive clothes. They're going to turn 16 and make your insurance bill quadruple. They're going to want to go to college. They might want to get married. You might want to start preparing for your kids as soon as you have kids. It's remarkably predictable. The problem, though, is that most of us just struggle to not spend it all today. It is so hard to just take some of what you have today and to set it aside knowing that you're going to have less right now. You know, when we have our, our young new staff members join, it's actually not just our young staff, but whenever we hire someone, I sit them down and ask them, would you, would you like an immediate 5% raise? And every person we've ever hired says, absolutely. See, we actually have something here at Grace Life for our human resources department. Uh, if someone contributes to their retirement fund, we match it. If you contribute up to 5%, we match up to 5%. And so when they say, absolutely, I want a 5% raise, I say, well, good. Take 5% of what you currently make and put it in your retirement fund. And do you know some still don't? And it's because it's just easier to think tomorrow is out there. Well, I'm so young, I don't need to save for retirement yet. Or, well, I, I just, I'm so far behind, I really need that 5%. But the Bible says, put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. 
after that, build your house. See, this is the most literal and practical application. When this was written, their income came from what grew in the fields. Their income came from how they took care of their animals, what was going to grow and be able to be traded or sold and, and what they would have. And, and so their income for tomorrow and the day after was what was in the fields. And after you had your income for your future taken care of, then you build a house and get comfortable today. If you do it in the other order, you're gonna have a comfortable house in which to starve because you will have no income for the future. You need to repair for tomorrow while it is still today. And one more thought on that. Everything is not as predictable as all the things we just laughed about. There will be other things that come up, some good and some bad. There will be opportunities and there will be some crises. And so many times I hear people say like, oh man, you won't believe that. Well, just, man, if I just had the money, I would. And they're talking about a great deal on that car they've always wanted. They just came across one. They don't know why it's such a good deal or the house you've always wanted in the neighborhood you've always wanted. And it's, it's in foreclosure. And if you had just had the money for the down payment. So many times I hear people say, if I just had the money, but if you save for an opportunity, anybody who's lived long enough will tell you many opportunities are going to come. Will you be able to take advantage of them? And unfortunately, also, anybody who's lived long enough will tell you a crisis will come your way. Something expensive and difficult is going to happen. Chances are it's going to be an emotional storm in your life already. It doesn't have to be a financial storm as well. That's going to be a tough enough day. So how do you score yourself on saving everybody from one to five, extremely foolish to exceptionally wise? And the last one, the fifth one, is to be debt free. To be debt free. The Bible says one of the basic truths you can't get away from, the borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. And we all know what the word slave means. It means someone who is not free. They do not get to make certain choices because they have a master. Their master is the lender. Let me ask you, how free are you financially? How free are you to not go to work tomorrow just because You'd rather not. Most of us, I bet, would say, we're not free at all. Got a car payment, got a credit card payment, got a student loan. I have to go to work. I have no choice. And you're not free. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to work. I said principle number two was work hard. But I had a friend of mine who was completely debt-free. He's one of the people in my wife and I were in such a disastrous financial mess who began to teach us what was in the Bible. And, and he had gotten completely debt-free. A very nice house paid for, cars paid for, owned his own business. And so because he owned his own business, as a contract worker, he would simply decide, you know, I don't think I'm going to work this week. I think I'm going to take the kids on vacation. Because the money was in the bank and he didn't need to. He was free. Now, he, he freely chose to go and work very hard many, many days but he was actually free. I've met very few people as free as he is. Are you free? And you may say, well, no, I manage my payments very well and I've got it under control. Well, that's fine, if you think. But you're not free because you have too many payments. Many of us know the feeling of being in debt and not free. And so, of course, we have probably found ourselves looking at our spouse or somebody and just going, how did I get here? Well, the first way you got here is by not being prepared, like we just talked about. Your stuff will break. You're going to need money. Things are going to come up. You're going to want money. If you're not prepared, 
then you're gonna have to go down to Lowe's and take advantage of their 12-month payment plan for that new refrigerator. You might want to be prepared. And then the second one, this is really important, is we're just impatient. We're just impatient. I want it, I want it now. But Dave Ramsey, who teaches Financial Peace University, says if you want it and you want it now, you're just a spoiled child. I didn't say that to you. Dave Ramsey said it to you. But a spoiled child is the one who says, Mommy, I want it and I want it now. And so when you go to the store and you say, I want it and I want it now, and my friend Visa will help me get it, you're spending like a spoiled child. It's how my wife and I got into so much trouble is because, well, we just got whatever we wanted when we wanted it. And so the question you're hopefully going to ask is, well, then how do we get free? In a minute, I'm going to recommend a very practical tool that will answer that question at length. I'm just going to give you something that affects your heart. The first thing you have to do is hate debt. You have to hate being a slave to the lender. You have got to get to a point that you just cannot stand what it feels like. If you've ever been in debt, you know what it feels like, and I hope you hate it. If you're in debt right now, you know what it feels like, and I hope you learn to hate it. Because that's what will give you the conviction to say, you know what, I'd rather do without that, even if it is on sale at the mall, than to experience that feeling. I just don't want to feel that anymore. Here's the truth that I'd like to share with you. You'll always be broke today. If you're stealing from tomorrow to pay for yesterday. Every morning you wake up in debt, you will always be broke. Because you're stealing from tomorrow to pay for yesterday. You've got to get to a place where you say there is no stuff that is worth that feeling. I hate debt. And I want to close by showing you something that if, if that didn't get you there, then one more, give me one more try. I want to show you God's intent again. We've been reading it throughout the series. Deuteronomy 15, Moses, the people are about to go into the promised land. He's giving his final sermon, teaching them all the things that God has for them, all of the intent. This is where we've read. But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you. He's trying to remind them. He's pleading with them. God's got a plan for you. But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you. Okay, how do we get there in his next sentence? If only you strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God. Being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. Okay, great. So, so if we live God's way, we'll have God's intent. Yes, but Moses didn't stop there. He said, there's one more thing I want you to know about God's intent for you. There will be no poor among you, but here's why. For the Lord will bless you as he promised you, and you shall lend, but you shall not borrow. You shall not borrow. You shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. Because... The borrower is slave to the lender. I want you to not miss the context. I can almost hear the pleading in Moses' voice, maybe even see the tears in his eyes as he communicates the Father's heart for his people. If you're not familiar with the story, Moses was the one that God sent to rescue his people from what? Slavery. Over 400 years of being slaves upon the earth, having to serve the Egyptians. And God rescued them from slavery. And now he says, look, you're going to be blessed. And I've got a land that I'm giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey. And there shall be no poor among you. And you shall not go back to being slaves to anyone. Because unfortunately, 
it was likely to come. And the future would play out that people would, they would want something today and so they would offer themselves as indentured servants and they would find themselves in debt and they would have to get rid of their land and much of the Bible plays out with them violating this very thing. It is not God's intent for his people to be slaves in any way to anyone. It is God's intent for his people to be free, to be the head, not the tail, for God's people to be blessed. So how do you rate yourself? One, extremely foolish, like my wife and I were. We probably should have given ourselves a zero, but anyway. Or five, exceptionally wise. So I'm gonna close by recommending to you a tool that I think will help you. Everything that we try to do and learn and disciple here at Grace Life, we do through small groups. We call them life groups. And we use a tool for our finances called Financial Peace University. It is created by Dave Ramsey. He teaches it. Dave Ramsey is a Christian businessman who lost everything. And then he figured out the Bible had a better way to live. And so that's what he teaches through Financial Peace University. What you see on the screen right there is a QR code, or you can text FPU to the number. You're not signing up for anything yet. We're gonna start these groups after the holidays, and I know if I say, hey, remember in a couple of months, you won't remember, and this will be out of sight, out of mind. But if you hit that QR code right now, or you text FPU to that number, after the holidays, we will invite you to join one of those groups. We'll just remind you that they're available, so you're not committing to anything right now, except asking to be reminded when the time comes. Well, as you've heard some of my story, I hope it's encouraged you, stories of what other people have done and how they've been where you maybe are, and how they put God's practices into work and it changed their lives. I hope my story has helped a little bit, but I'm gonna close with one more story. Another one of our pastors, uh, we like to, to prove to you that we're humans too. And um, hopefully it'll bring a lot of hope and faith to your life. You would turn your attention to the screen. My name's Chuck Hill and I've been part of Grace Life since 2019. In 2010, my wife and I moved back to the States from Europe. We had nothing to our name, except we knew we had a baby on the way. We came to help plant a church. So as you can imagine, working at a church plant and having side jobs, we didn't make a lot of money. But every Sunday after church, because I was on staff, we thought we had to go out for lunch too, which isn't cheap. Anytime another family wanted to go and do something, we just felt that obligation that we needed to do it. I can remember very clearly getting off at exit 19 on the Farrell Road, running the numbers in my mind and having the stark realization that we no longer had enough monthly income to meet our minimum monthly payments. The reality wasn't good. We had over $36,000 in credit card debt. We had two car payments. We had thousands of dollars in medical bills from having the kids, student loans, the whole nine yards. So obviously we had to make some changes and we had to make them fast. We started studying what does scripture have to say. We got into a financial peace. We went and sought wisdom about how to better handle our finances. The reality was that we thought that we could out-earn our stupidity. We never thought twice about spending money, never really made a budget. The fact is we were just foolish and really motivated by trying to maintain a lifestyle that those around us had. As tough as that season was, God used that to teach us so much about how to live within our means and how to be faithful with the 90% that He's entrusted us with. It wasn't just about honoring Him with the tithe, but about honoring Him in the way that we live. And what we found is that the more that we honored Him with the way we live, the more He entrusted us with. Yeah. 
We heard Chuck say, we thought we could out-earn our stupidity. You heard me tell you we thought God would out-bless our foolishness. However you word it, whatever you're doing, look, here's the point. God has an intent for your life. And there are three overarching biblical principles. And I believe if you put these to work in your lives, you're going to experience something very different from what you've been experiencing so far. Honor God, be generous, and be wise. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are such a good God and you have blessed us so much. Sometimes, God, though, the way we've spent and handled and managed our finances, we, we feel a lack. And instead of calling you good, we wonder where things are. So, God, we ask you to, would you bring us to a new place? Would you help us to put these to work in our lives so that we can then look and go, our God is good. And we can declare your goodness. Because, God, we... We know that you have been so, so good to us. Would you give us now wisdom and help us to put to work everything that you have taught in your word? If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those who have yet to make Jesus their king. You see, God has an intention for every part of your life, including your eternal future. Unfortunately, though, every single one of us at some point has done something unholy and it separated us from God. The Bible simply calls it sin. But the good news is that God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus who would live a perfect life upon the earth so that when he was crucified, an innocent man, his bloodshed and his body broken, he didn't have any sins of his own to pay for. And so his death, his death paid for yours and mine. And so when we make Jesus our Lord and Savior, we are then forgiven of our sins and raised to eternal life. It's what we call the free gift of salvation. If you have never made that exchange of the life you've been living for the one that God has for you, I want to help you do that right now, wherever you are. Would you simply pray and say something like this to yourself and to God? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?